So how many of you can honestly say that the first time you met someone, they kicked your ass? I can say that about Erin Marie Austin. We met at the Max, and she was one of my instructors. Physically, she demanded an awful lot from me, but what evolved was a relationship where we both seemed to elevate each other emotionally. Our conversation is about narcissism. She was lovely enough to sit with me and have that whole conversation about what she discovered and a lot of the similarities that her and I experienced in having those types of relationships. So man or woman, I hope you will sit back, you know, really listen and take in a lot of the things that she has to say and a lot of things that she has to share. She is absolutely unsilenced in this one. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Erin Marie Austin. Thank you, Erin, for coming today. Thanks for having me. So excited. This is going to be um, a topic I know I can relate to. And I'm hoping for anybody who listens that they can relate to it too. And I honestly, and I hope I don't get emotional about this, (laughs) I'm so grateful to you because you seriously are one of the strongest women I've ever met. And I I don't say that just to blow sunshine up your butt, and you know that. So to have you come on and kind of talk about this topic and be a little vulnerable about it, because you do have to be vulnerable when Mm -hmm. you talk about these things, I am so grateful because I do believe that you're going to help an awful lot of people. So I'm just going to let you, I'm going to let Erin tell her story. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I was a little hesitant to reach out to you immediately when you put out the uh, call for people to come and tell their story, but... I've been hiding from this story for so long mm-hmm. that I finally came to a place where I was, I'm was i very comfortable with talking about it. And I think it's a story that needs to be out there, and mm-hmm. I think it needs to be shared. Um, I'm going to talk about toxic relationships and what they do to you yes. and how to come through that and how to heal better than you ever were going into them. Yes. Um, basically, my toxic relationship was 17 years long. I went from a confident 28-year-old girl, uh, woman, uh, career, just had a lot of stuff going for her, a lot of friends and stuff, and I got into a relationship that was toxic from the start. And I think us as women, we have been taught to disregard our intuition a little too much. Yes. That I think all of the red flags I kind of... uh, decided that I was going to excuse away because you always want to see the best in people. Yes. You want to take people at their, at their word. Mm-hmm. And now after going through everything that I've been through, I realize we need to change the narrative on that. We definitely need to talk more about listening to our intuition, our gut feelings, um, seeing things for what they really are. Yes. Not what we want them to be. So, uh, my journey through this entire thing has been a learning experience and it's got its roller coaster ride. It's up and down, you know, for a very, very long time. I did not know I was in a toxic relationship. I was like just in a world of how can I make this work? What, why isn't anything working? Why is it anything that I'm trying how much I dote, you know, how much I'm doting and how much I love and how much I pour in. I mean, I'm there 150%. Yes, you are. You're, in, And I know that 
because you used to be my uh, fitness instructor. <laughs> Everything I do, Everything. I put my heart into. Yes, you do. Um, and if my heart isn't into it, you, you'll people will know immediately. They'll they'll realize it that that's not me. Like, mm -hmm. why are you involved in this project if you really don't want to be here? Because right. I just you know. We were talking about you can see the look on your face, you yeah. know, when you're just yeah. not there. Mm -hmm. um, but I was I was there 150 percent and totally uh, committed to the relationship, and I did not realize it until I was probably about seven or eight years in. And I think I told you um, when we spoke about this, when you start googling a person's personality, you're in trouble. And I remember when it, I Googled it and it had a name to it and I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's, that's not it. But every single symptom was there. And I thought to myself, no. And what I, was the name of it? It was narcissism. It was narcissism, <clears throat> which I, I'm, sometimes I fear this is becoming a buzzword for too many I, people. I, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's becoming a buzzword or if people are becoming more aware of it or people are discovering... Um, that, that there is that, a name that there name is a name it. for it, but um, yeah, it's when you look it up and and you're in love with someone, you can find all the reasons why they're not that. Mm -hmm. And that that's where I was at that point. And you know, the roller coaster ride kept going up and down. I'm I'm a big journaler. I have journaled since probably 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Uh, so I was journaling my my life. Mm -hmm. Which, side note, the person I was with did not appreciate that. And I didn't realize it until later on. It, you know, a person who is an abuser does not want your st his stuff cataloged mm -hmm. as time is going through. But I went at the end of, during my healing process, I went back and I reread all of those journals. And I thought to myself, if I had only known what it was, Back then, I could have seen all of the patterns. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm seven, eight years in, I'm Googling, and I'm not ready to understand that that's what it is. Mm -hmm. um, You're so, also a mom at this point. I am a mom, yep. And and so I am I am pouring my life, my, every bit of my soul, into being a mom, being a wife, trying the absolute best that I can possibly do mm -hmm. to make this work. Because mm -hmm. as far as I was concerned, I was kind of sold on um, the person being broken and just needed some love and understanding. And I, I'm all for that. I'll be there for you. I am absolutely loyal to a fault. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what I've learned. Uh, all of the red flags and all of the patterns and uh, were there all along. I just wasn't ready to see it. Right. So time had gone on and um, I started really probably around that same time started questioning my sanity oh gosh and i'm, I'm so I, I, like i have chills that's how that's how happy i am that you're talking about this questioning my sanity now i if you talk to any of my friends they'll tell you i am straightforward i say it like it is probably a little too brutal at times i've softened over the years but i am a straight shooter and i am really in touch with reality mm -hmm. and when that started happening to me i really started to get scared yeah how could i possibly have my world be shaken to the core where i am questioning what's real yes and then i 
um, really started to pay attention a little bit more, maybe hyper-vigilant to uh, what was being said, how it was being said, and how I was reacting to it. Mm -hmm. And I had to go through all of those processes to start realizing, I am not insane. This is being done to me, and there's something very wrong in this situation. Yes. And when I finally, but that was years, we're talking years of feeling like you're losing your mind. And then, you know, as a mom, you push it down, push it down, push it down. What is, how does it manifest itself? It manifests itself in not sleeping, um, always feeling anxious. Uh, I got physically sick. Mm -hmm. Um, I battled, I I was being checked for lymphoma for quite a, a number of months. I had a lung um, issue for over 18 months that my body was having a hard time fighting. And and that was just not me. I was healthy for the longest time, you know, a runner and exercise. A 40-minute planker. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of those things were just not me. So the, the lymphoma scare really made me start thinking. And I remember the reaction to me being sick, mm-hmm. which was really a turning point for me. This kills me. I was having the hardest time. I had no energy. I was still, you know, full-time mom. My kids were little at the time. And I was I was zapping my energy. I was re- it was really bad. And I remember uh, him coming home one day and I was laying in bed and it was probably about 4.35 o'clock in the afternoon. And he's like, what's wrong with you? And I said, I'm just not feeling good. He's like, shouldn't this be over with by now? And then when I had to really push it and I had to have the surgery, they wanted to take the, you know, the lymph out of my neck to, to mm. test it and biopsy it and stuff. Um, it, it was just the, the it was almost a, um, a feeling of this is an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. I have to I have to take care of the kids in the house and and all of this stuff. Like, shouldn't you be over this by now? And I, I thought to myself after that surgery, I thought, you know what, if it's not, all I wanted them to tell me 100% was that it wasn't cancer, and then I was just going to push it down. And that's exactly what I did. After they told me, they, the pathology report came back, and they told me it wasn't cancer, I just pushed everything down. I sucked it up, and I dealt with every single day being tired and exhausted and going through these motions, these emotions where still trying to figure out what is going on here. Like, right. I really don't feel like this is normal, mm-hmm. but not knowing how to fix it. Right. And uh, it's very hard, you know, there were a lot of situations looking back on it now where there were arguments and, you know, triggering and uh, just downright gaslighting. And my- Another re- word that, that, that I fear is becoming a buzzword. A buzzword. But for the people who live it and the people who've very been through real. it, it's you know, there are times when people will use it in a conversation and I actually take offense to it because I know they're using it wrong. Wrong. And I think, yeah, no. <laughs> I, this, you know, because when you're actually living through everything mm-hmm. that you're talking about, it's, it's another, it's like being in a different realm. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it, and, and when you say, you felt like you were losing your mind. You were going crazy. You genuinely feel that way. And mm-hmm. I, I hope people listening who haven't been through this can can try and imagine what it's like to be going through your daily life every single day and thinking, I'm crazy. I'm mm-hmm. going nuts. Um, what can I do better? 
How can I be a better person? How can I stop this? How can I, you know, how, how can I move through this and figure out how, how I, can, I can finally stop this, this whole thought process? And the whole entire time, you are living with, loving, and relying on the person who's purposely mm-hmm. doing that to you. That was a that was a hard thing for me to wrap around my head uh, too when I finally learned all about narcissism and and that it's done intentionally mm-hmm. because um, that was a hard thing to accept and it's a lot harder to explain to other people. How do you know? How do you know they're doing it on purpose? And I started really looking. I've I've researched, read. I've been in therapy. I've gone through all of the the major healing steps. And I remember coming across information where it says if their their personality is different behind closed doors as opposed to being out in front of people, then you know they're doing it intentionally because that's not something you just that's not a switch in our normal mind, a normal, regular, functioning, realistic mind that it just switches off. Mm-hmm. You have that those are behaviors and those are patterns that people are are living yeah. they are doing those they're acting those things out and the other thing was how do you not look at your phone from the night before when the morning after and not look at those text messages you sent the night before and have any type of remorse or reaction a normal thinking person would look at you know even if you had been drinking and you weren't even in your right mind yes. you would look at your phone the next day and be like oh <gasps> Oh my! I can't believe I said those things. Right. I have to apologize because like, we all say things sometimes in anger or frustration. You know, and, and God bless texting. Now we can actually read what, all the things that we. You know, there was a time we were like, "Oh, thank God nobody heard that." No, yeah. Thank God, thank God yeah. I didn't write it in a letter. Well, now it's out there all the time. And yes, a normal human being a normal would have some sort of rem- yeah, remorse and be like, "I have to change my my." my attitude and my my behavior this is not acceptable or at least say look let's sit down and talk about this mm-hmm. i think it got out of hand and i was angry and you know let's talk let's have a conversation right let's just and i always up. felt like i was the person that had to ha- open those conversations up and it was exhausting because there was there is no communication oh my god you don't know how much i'm i'm loving that i am it's i'm not there's loving absolutely it, but none. this conversation you can talk until you're blue i have written it i have spoken it i have sent voice memos i have done i've written it in cards everything and was there a part of you that was like please please like please yes. can you just please like listen and and read it and understand what mm-hmm. i'm trying to say and and you, well, in my situation, I got back. You're crazy. You're a drama queen. You're making too much of something. That's you're really I was looking met with too silence. much into it. I, you know what? He would say to me, "All right, when you get home, we'll talk about it." And I can remember the first time thinking, "Oh my God, he wants to talk about it." I raced home. I was so excited, like, "Oh my God, we're going to have a conversation." And I got in and I, I sat on the couch and he was sitting in the, in his chair watching TV, and I said. So what's up? And he just looked over at me and he went, nothing. What's up? How was your day? I said, it, it was a good day. How was your day? He was like, yeah, it was fine. Nothing. nothing. And I looked at him and, and like I got up and I got us both like iced tea and I sat down and I went, so, um, so you want to talk? And he's like, talk. That's the and exact. And I remember being like, what? That is the exact same reaction I used to get. I was like, oh, okay, so you you set up this up 
for us to sit down and talk about it. And now you're putting it back on me. Right. Now you're looking at me and tell me talk. You're carrying. Right. But meanwhile, you realize as soon as you start talking, you're going to be met with. You're going to be met with. That's not the way it was. Or uh, what are some of the famous things that always get said? Um, I'm sorry you, you saw it that way. Yes. Um, that's not what I said. Oh, no, that's what you said. No, that's not what I said. Because if it wasn't in text, then you had to, you're oh, remembering it wrong. Exactly. Um, oh, uh, no. When you called me that and you said that, I pretty much remembered yeah. it word for word because it's ingrained in my head. No, no. But now you're making, now you're lying. You're mm -hmm. lying. I never, and then it becomes this, Big this blown rage out. Yep. and this fight and you're sitting there like, Oh my God! Like, uh, all right, all right, whatever. So you go Let's through just... that, f f yeah. you know, one too many times, and you start to think this is a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. I'm getting more anxious and angry over just having to explain to a grown adult. Yep. This is not communication. This is just a circular argument that's never going to go anywhere. And yes. it took me years to figure that out. Yep. <laughs> because you think when we're speaking, you hear me speaking, mm -hmm. and I will have something to input yes that is not the way that works with a narcissist and for us on on the side that we're on and when i say us i mean the person who is in the relationship with the narcissist because yes 100 percent, this happens to men and women are, are the narcissists mm -hmm. so it's just our point of view because yeah. we're two women talking about it but when you're on the other side of it and you're kind of you're just the shock and and the Okay, I, I, I think I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. This, do I just not know how to have a relationship? That's all those little things start coming in. Those, those things did come into my mind, but I always remember saying, um, I know I'm not the issue here when it comes to this, these particular things that mm -hmm. are happening because I have long-standing functioning relationships. Right. Several friends, family members that I have had problems with and that we've been able to work through issues with yeah and i said this this is not going to be put back on me right so when i got to that point where i started seeing things a little bit clearer and realizing you know something was definitely wrong here and it wasn't necessarily on my ends because yeah. if you can prove to somebody or or if, if somebody lives their life and they have friends and they have family and they have you know social life and they've worked through issues and they can be forgiving and they they can have those functioning relationships for decades of, of time what's the common denominator in this situation yes and what really really sent it home to me was when i realized that two marriages two polar opposite females and yet the marriages were carbon copies of each other wow with re with the exception of having one more kid so he had had he, he had been married mm -hmm. he had a child and ended in divorce same length of marriage is. same length of ish, you know problems uh, and I said that to him one day. I said, um, how is it you married to polar opposite women and yet your marriages are carbon copies of each other? Like, how does that happen? And his reaction was, um, maybe you, you guys aren't polar opposites. Mm. And it's funny because um, I, I know his family well. Uh, I, ha I have no problems taking the kids down to see their grandparents and their aunt Right and now, yeah. still through oh, this. Yep. yep. And... Um, I remember my brother-in-law saying to me, he goes, Aaron, you are, you are so far from 
you know, his first wife. Like there's just so many differences. He says, I don't know how, I don't know how this happened (laughs) twice. Right. Well, there, the common denominator was him. Common denominator was this is, this is who he is. And the thing that always used to get me was I, I would sit there and think, here you have a woman. And if you're a man, you know, you, you, if you're a man going through it, saying to a woman, here you have a man or a woman who is so in love with you, mm-hmm. all the broken pieces, all the things that, you know, you bring to the table, yeah. who simply wants to say, let's let's get through all of this. Let's build this life together. Let's let's get you to a place where you don't feel this way about yourself mm-hmm. and and and. You know, you don't want to be this way anymore, and you just want to open yourself up to someone who can love you fully. Those were the things that I used to say to myself. He doesn't think he's a good person. Right. He doesn't. And I would tell him, no, you are a good person. There's right. a good man in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just you've been hurt, and you've been – and when they don't do it, you feel in like my a situation, failure. and I felt like I'm, I'm just not that woman that can do this for him. Mm-hmm. I really thought I was that person. And that's where we we internalize it way too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody were to be able to, and that's why I think this this conversation is so important. It's so important. Because there are women out there that believe that their situation is completely unique and that they are alone. And they're embarrassed and and they're ashamed because we, we... our vulnerability is completely exposed to this person because we love them and that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. We should be able to be who, whomever we are and and however we feel, we should be able to share that with this person that we love and they take that and they weaponize it. Yeah. And then you start looking at yourself and you think, now you and I are very different women. My background, mm-hmm. completely different from yours, mine, complete abuse. So for me... As a person who used to look at herself and say, what's the common denominator in all these abusive relationships? Me, when I finally met him and really fell for him, and then it went wrong, it was... Earth-shattering. It was earth-shattering because I really felt like he was the love of my life. And I had been married, and, you know, make no mistake, I loved my husband. We just grew apart. Mm -hmm. And when I met this man in my 40s, and I thought, man, I've done all the work, and now... This is my blessing. Literally said, stared out a window when we were moving to the house where we were going to live in. Thank you, God. Thank you because now the good stuff starts. You know, now the second half, my marriage had been good. I had been blessed with it. And I felt like, okay, now here I go. I get to start something new with this man. And when he blew my world up within six months mm-hmm. and I stayed seven years. All I kept thinking was, it's you, mm-hmm. it's you, it's you. You got to be better. You got to do better. You got to. And I would say these things to him and be like, I'm sorry. I know you know, I gave him all the fuel he needed yeah. to just keep coming at me and coming at me and coming at uh, me. Forgiveness uh, is a, a powerful, powerful tool for them. I, I remember um, him saying to me, you're too forgiving. I could never be like that. And I said, that's the way we're supposed to be. But I didn't realize that in the narcissistic world, the more you forgive, it's considered a weakness. It is. And that's why sitting across from you, knowing you the way that I do, I used to cry in front of you. you, used to, you I used to be hitting that boxing bag and you used to be like, let it out, Maureen. Just, mm-hmm. And I would cry and I would think, 
this is the strongest woman that I know. And for you, knowing how different our backgrounds are, to be able to come on and say, you know what? I'm going to take my strength and I'm going to tell my story. And I'm going to say, yeah, you are such a gift to someone like me who really honestly and truly thought I'm never going to get this right. I'm never going to get this right. I'm never going to find someone that will love me in a healthy way because I'm the issue. And looking at you, it's like, oh my God, like, do you know how many men and women this conversation alone can help? Mm -hmm. it, it's, and, and we also talked about respect, self-respect. Yeah. Something we were not, listen, when my mother talked about respect, thank God it's my podcast. It was basically <laughs> keep your legs shut. <laughs> you want to respect, show men you respect yourself. Keep your legs shut. All right. So respect was having no sex. And that was the generation she came from. And that was also because she was a single mom for a while. <laughs> I get it, Ronnie. Um, but that's, that's not what self-respect is. No. No. And young girls need to know this, especially in the digital age. And I'll tell you right now, that's the biggest issue, right? You have to work through that part of it. You know, all of the, the confidence, the self-confidence level and the respect that you might have had before that relationship has been has been marred. It's been scarred. It's been torn apart. Mm -hmm. And that was something I needed to relearn mm -hmm. again. And, you know, um, that's a hard process because you do, you, we are self-aware. Yeah. We are very self-aware and we do internalize a lot and we do self-reflect and we analyze things and we go th over things over and over again and we try to see how we fit in there. But generally speaking, in these relationships, there is nothing you are ever going to do or not do that's going to make this work. Right. Because this is a person that hates themselves from the inside out and covers it over with charisma, confidence, mm. arrogance and ego to an extent where you're never going to break that down. I think I read a statistic that only one percent of the narcissistic world, people that would be di diagnosed with NPD, had they gone to a doctor and mm -hmm. tried to be only one percent of them will make any type of changes or better they'll always have it but they're all there's only one percent that's able to kind of make adjustments throughout their life to better their situation do you think i think personally most of them won't go for help they won't because and but yet they're aware of it they're aware they're absolutely 100 percent aware of it i yeah. was told that multiple times i know i don't have empathy and I don't see things the way other people do and I don't have compassion and I was told that I was told um I am cruel cold and calculating and it served me well in both my career and other situations that you were that way no, or he, he was, was that way that's what he wow. said to me and that was that was that was the most self-aware I'd ever heard yeah and but it was also a scary statement because so I, you know when the time that he said it did you hear it i heard it you heard it because when i look back and i see behaviors um that i'll just call him jc <laughs> ah screw it when i look back <laughs> on john oh that was a moment i haven't said his name i'm mm -hmm. always i'm still afraid to say mm -hmm. his name um when I look back on John and, and the things that he did early in our relationship, 
the way he treated other people sometimes where it made me turn around and look like, why would why would you say that to that person? And it was like, because, you know, people need to understand. That's not how you act. And if I have to put them in their place, I will. I I was so I had so little confidence mm-hmm. that I actually looked at it like this is a man who's sure of himself. Mm-hmm. He's strong. And I could learn a lot from him. He's, you know, there was a certain part of me that felt like I could grow and I could not be that pleasing mm-hmm. person. But every time I tried to grow, the more I tried to grow, the worse the abuse became. Mm-hmm. Until I know it did not in your case, in my case, until it became physical. And it was it took me a long time to hear that and see that person in him. And when I did, it was terrifying. When I really looked at it and faced it, I was terrified of it. And I felt trapped. Mm. And this is this is how young girls get pulled into this. The love oh, yeah. bombing. We talked about love bombing. That, that was very, that was some serious stuff in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And how they mimic everything that you are looking for and any, everything that you want to be yes. in a relationship, they can mimic. Mm-hmm. But they, it only usually lasts for three to four months. Yep. And by then, I was already married. I was already married and I was 150% sure that this was the man I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And then I found out Olivia was coming on our way and then shortly after the i do's it the, the abuse started yeah the devaluing the the questioning the um the doting stopped mm-hmm. i will never forget uh, we had come back from our honeymoon and we were staying in an apartment at the time and i had a, a yellow lab that a friend had been taking care of and i guess after being gone for several days in a row he just was he became spiteful and he just decided mm-hmm. he was gonna poop all over the place <laughs> and I lost my junk I, I was like I can't believe this I you know I mm-hmm. can't believe you did this what did and he looked at me and he said well I guess the novelty's worn off huh and you don't realize it at the time mm-hmm. but you look back and you have literally cataloged all of those moments and through your healing process you you start remembering all of those little things that you didn't catch on or didn't hold on to in the beginning, yeah, they definitely come back. They do. They definitely come back. And so all of those little moments here and there uh, through the years, and then you, you, you do get to the more abusive stuff. You, those, mm-hmm. things you're, those things you remember. Yeah. Being called every name on, in, you know, under the kitchen sink and you know, just questioned about your decisions or mm-hmm. you know, how you mother yeah. I, and then they go from one extreme to the other. You are, you are the most a loving, compassionate, empathetic mom. You are so affectionate. My and compliments then, always came when he was drunk. You know, I know that I don't treat you right, but you've got to know I love you. I love you so much. I never loved it. And, you know, when you're drunk, you tell the truth. And I would sit there just looking at him like, oh, my God, what am I doing with my life? How, like I don't, I don't mean. Do you to... know what's funny? He played on you with that because I always said that about uh, alcohol being the truth serum, mm. and when I started really accepting that to be the fact, mm. but with a narcissist, they can spin it and manipulate it. Oh my god, so much! Can I just, I just want to say something, and I, I have to say this because we're talking about this. I really want people in general, men and women, 
I want the word, the C word, I'm not going to say it on here, but the see you next Tuesday word, I really want it to stop being normalized. When the hell did that word become okay? When the hell did it become okay for men to talk that way to women? When did it become okay for women to call each other? Look, I will admit that I have called one person the C word, and that was him. And that was in a conversation to someone, and it was in a way of, well, if anybody was a, mm, it's him. But even saying it felt mm-hmm. so disgusting coming out of my mouth. And you know, I have a potty mouth. I admit it. But I thought, you know what? That word, that's the bo- like that's the boundary. I don't want to. I don't want to. And when I, when I hear people I love use that word, I just like I want to look at them and I want to say, do you know how disgusting you mm-hmm. sound? Do you know the types of people that use that word? When did that become acceptable? Because I can tell you I was called that word in the worst moments of my life. And any time I hear someone, I've had people yell that at me at a call window because I, I, I cut them off. Mm-hmm. When did it become okay to say anything we want to say and not understand how much of a reflection it is on you, the person who says it? Because there's a lack of accountability. And and our girls, nope. like this is part of the respect mm-hmm. that I just don't think that we're teaching our kids enough of. No. I, I, and, and I don't know, we want to empower our children so much that we're not teaching them boundaries mm-hmm. for themselves mm-hmm. about how people look at them, how people see them. Look, you could dress whatever way you want. I don't judge you. I Listen, I've always said. I had a little bit of better something like this going on. I don't know that I wouldn't be like a little more, hey, there's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself. But I promise you, as beautiful as you are, as as much as people tell you they love you, the minute that word comes out of your mouth, mm-hmm. you're a low life, period. I, that's my opinion. I'm, I'm not saying it's people right. People haven't been held accountable for what they say, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. If more people stood up and said, you know what, that's unacceptable and I don't like language like that. And you absolutely will not talk to me like that. And that's that's where you find yourself in these relationships over time where you start putting the boundaries in place. I started to believe that was my name. Sometimes he called me that word so many times. And no matter how far out of love I was falling with out of love, I was falling. Every time he called me that name, it hurt. It just hit a part of me that eventually I had that nervous breakdown. Eventually I was convinced that I was worthless. I think the words are, are the most you – know, trying to explain abuse of this nature, when you say it's emotional abuse or psychological abuse or mental abuse, people don't understand what that really does. They and there's don't. been tons and tons of studies for this particular, you know, issue alone it changes your brain the actual physical brain and people will have scans and their brains are different and i think when i can people... i can attest to that because i've had mris and i've had doctors come back and say to me this is a normal brain scan mm-hmm. this is your scan trauma changes the chemistry in your body it changes the form of your brain And I think the more that we have these conversations and people start understanding exactly the damage that it does Mm -hmm. and how long it it takes to work through that damage and to kind of get back to what we would consider normal, it's a lot. 
It's a lot. It's a lot. And there's, there is. Do you think it's too much? And maybe that's why people find so hard, find it so hard to, I don't know, wrap their head around it or try to change it. I, I know I, I talk about sexual abuse because I've been through that. And someone said to me, why do you think it's so hard to get people to see it? And I tell them because I think- it's an uncomfortable conversation, that's why. And because I think there's personal shame that surrounds it. I think that um, there are a lot of people out there who've maybe done something sexually that, you know, wish they hadn't, made a mistake, acted a certain way, acted when they were drunk. You know, maybe they have that moment that they look back on and they go, oh, wait a minute. If I start talking about this, then I may have to own that I did something mm -hmm. that I'm not proud of. It's the shame factor. It's the shame factor, and it's like we carry don't be so ashamed. much shame. That, Talk that's about another it. thing. You know, I've 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 been very open with my kids, and my daughter's 16 now, and she's you know she's a young woman, and she's starting to realize you know people are looking at her differently as mm -hmm. she's growing and whatnot. And I've always been open about my mistakes in in Me my too. life with Me her. Too. And I remember him saying to her, "I don't like that she that your mom tells you those stories," and she's like, "Why?" She shouldn't be telling you those stories. That's ridiculous. Because of his shame. And I, and I and he said that to me one day, and I said, I will not be ashamed of the things that I've put in the past, and I've grown past. Yes. And I have forgiven myself for. Yes. What good is it to to live in a world where you're constantly feeling guilty for stuff you did years ago that you've worked past? You're not that person anymore. Right. You didn't continue to 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 carry those you know, to that same pattern of behavior. You didn't keep making that same mistake. You didn't go down that path and, and live that lifestyle. That was a moment, momentary life, part of your life that you've grown from. Yes. I mean, yesterday we were talking about regret. Mm. Uh, you, you, that is part of the healing process. What did I do? I should have never, I re totally regret that. And then you start thinking, well, if I hadn't gotten myself into this mm -hmm. relationship i would not have absolutely the two most beautiful children on the face of the planet yeah i wouldn't have my home i wouldn't have a lot of the relationships that i have now yep just based off of of where i come from like where what i went through with him got me to here yes and so why would we live in regret you can't you can't you you so I, I'm, I'm yeah. thankful. I just said to somebody, I'm thankful for the decisions that I've made in my life because I wouldn't be the same person if mm -hmm. it weren't for those decisions. But now I'm at a point in my life where I'm not going down that road again. You, you, and that's part of the problem, too, when you've been through a situation like this, when you've been through the abuse, you become so hypervigilant. You are constantly aware of how people stand how they speak what they say how they look how they move mm. uh what they say about other people it, it is is something that you don't turn off no, and that's exhausting it is exhausting in every constantly every paying sense attention the to the way people speak mm. um super analyzing everybody's interactions and and that that's where I'm at in my my healing process is that I'm I I'm emotionally not engaged in mm. that relationship anymore, um, working through the next steps of what 
I have to do for my children and whatnot, but I'm constantly super analyzing everybody around me and the yeah. way they speak to each other or what they say or how they, you know, what they talk about. And it's not in judgment. No. You know, it's, it's not in judgment. It's just you are so in tune. Yeah, you're just those... kind of looking around and thinking, okay, well, I know for me, well, what if someone was, what if I was in a relationship with that person, they were speaking this way to me? How would I react to that? I can remember going through those mm-hmm. um, and, and not judging it. But really kind of check it was a check in with me. Mm-hmm. So what are my new boundaries? What are what are my you know, am I still thinking the same way? And that is it's all that self awareness that you're trying to kind of hold on to, but it's exhausting as you're going mm-hmm. through that process because you realize this is part of moving past this. I have to start to figure out what's acceptable to me and what's not in the future so that I don't end up in a situation like right. this again. And um, and setting boundaries in itself is a very difficult thing because you have to change your pattern of thinking yeah. and your pattern of living. And then you have to be ready for the pushback. And, and in every situation, every relationship like this, there is going to be pushback. And I you lost have- friends. I, I lost friends as I was trying to change because I realized that the the things that I accepted in my my relationship with John kind of spilled over into all of my relationships. Mm. I was that same person. And as I started to think like, well, no, I I don't think that's okay. And no, it, it was, oh, really? Oh, oh, so we're changing now. And it's like, if you were really my friends, you would look at me and say, I, I know how hard this is, or keep going. I the Instead, support factor would be there for me. Um, I actually, I, I actually had uh, because I kept my story so closed yeah. for so long. I my own brother didn't even know, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm closest to my brother. Mm-hmm. When I told him, he cried. He yeah. he he got teary eyed. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you come to me? That broke my heart. Mm-hmm. So when I started telling my story, I had to be prepared for the that that couldn't have really happened. It's not as bad as you think it was. Are you sure about that? And then you have to be at a place in your healing process where those things don't rattle you, that you expect them. So I would suggest to people tell. Be very careful who you tell your story to, Mm -hmm. but don't be so offended if people come back and say that because that's just a normal human reaction and you will we you will weed out the people that that will stand by you yes and then you will learn first reaction right let the let the conversation unfold conversation let it unfold so that they can hear you Mm -hmm. and then they can start to because it is shocking when when people know a couple and they think that they know a couple and then you start coming out with a different narrative and then they're looking, they're like, but 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 he was never like that in front of us. Mm-hmm. I said, no, he wasn't. You know what someone taught me too? That when you start to reveal who someone really is that other people didn't see, there's a moment when they question themselves. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. <clears throat> I never saw that. How did that. I see how that? Did, how, how didn't, didn't I see that? They start to, there's a moment of panic within themselves where Which is understandable. they question it. And it's like... and. And I saw that a couple of times and I would go, I know, how how frightening is that? That Right? You never, it was almost like, yes, no, 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 see, hold on to that because it's okay that you feel that way. Right. But yeah, this is how it happens. And people don't like, people don't like a moment of their own 
like being played, mm-hmm. being exposed, mm-hmm. even if it's on the smallest level, like, hey, wait a minute. I thought I was smarter than that. And no, this it, it's not that you're not smart. That's just how good they are. Right. That's just how good they are. And that's are. part of the healing process, too. When yes. you start to, you do go through those self-reflection periods. Like, what is wrong with me that I didn't see this, mm-hmm. that I got roped up into this? And that I didn't speak up for myself sooner. And it's because the abuse is insidious. It's It starts very small and very gradual. And and, and it's um, like a drip in a bucket. Yeah. But it's not like the floodgates are open. And because if somebody comes out, generally speaking, if you're in a relationship and somebody comes out and just full on abuses you right out, a lot of people would stand up for themselves. Be like, yeah. I'm not going to do, no, because there's a sense of, you get incensed, you, your anger is like, uh-uh, and that would have been me. I I remember saying, man, if anybody ever did that to me, that would be the end of things. So many people said that to me. And But then I had to start thinking from a different perspective in the fact that there is nothing wrong with me. Mm. Narcissists pick the strongest most loyal and forgiving people because they know that they can they are go, they're in it for the long haul they are in it for the long haul they can manipulate that person and you are going to put up with it and stay because you love them you are loyal you are forgiving you are empathetic you are everything that they are not and that's why they can play you and so when i i started doing the research and reading about you know the strength of these people that they target I said, all right, there's a little confidence left. You know, there's a little bit of of, of me yeah. that started surf- resurfacing that I hadn't seen for a while. And then that just makes it easier to put the boundaries in place. Right. And then to feel more confident about yourself. And then when they try to trigger you to be totally disengaged and, and nope, I'm not going there anymore. You don't, <gasps> you don't have any power over me. I need you to also... Talk about how they trigger in person when when you're around other people. So I believe it's called yeah I believe it's called dog whistling. Mm-hmm. So they they will be having a conversation in amongst you're you're in a group of people. And I remember one one time, my brother was over the house, and there was a conversation that was taking place, and I got triggered. And on the on the surface, on the outside. I reacted and it looked like I was losing my mind. My brother was like, Aaron, what is wrong with you? What you are losing your mind. You're crazy. You're going crazy. And I'm looking at him and he did not realize that that my narcissist was specifically targeting a very low blow on me with what he was saying. Mm-hmm. But he he was the only one who knew that. I was the only one who knew that. And my brother did not and so my reaction and then you know he sat back and was just like yeah, she's crazy <laughs> she's crazy yeah look at this and then i noticed he started doing it in front of the kids when i would react and i would say to the kids you do not know what your father is saying to me or the text messages he's saying or what he just called me or you don't see it right it's like this. It's like a secret language that mm-hmm. you have with each other mm-hmm. that they start to speak in the most public places, mm-hmm. and no one else hears it, and they know that. I, I remember having a conversation with two friends of mine who we were spending 
pretty considerable time with, and I, they just started noticing some some off things. And this was towards the end of 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 things, and and things were spiraling out of control. And I was starting to get my bearings, and really just sitting back and watching the spiral effect. That wasn't me. Finally, it was somebody else literally losing their control, and. Um, I just sat back and I said, just watch. I, I told them, I said, just watch. Listen listen to how the conversations go. Just watch. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely they, they started noticing me and, and they would talk to me on the side like, oh my God, we see it. We see it now. We see it. And because I was becoming more confident and more set in my boundaries and, and more um, self-aware that I wasn't going to be triggered and whatnot, uh, those moments were becoming more frustrating yeah. for the other party because he didn't he was losing control yeah and and ultimately i don't i don't find joy in the fact that he is suffering I, it's a sad it's a it's a very very sad situation to see somebody that you love and it's the father of your kids um go through what they're going through but when you take a look at them and realize they have all the power to change and choose not to you gotta you gotta step back and say that's on them yeah that's not on anybody but them and you know we all have a responsibility to take accountability for our actions and for our decisions and for our life and if you're not going to do that that's not on anybody else but that person okay. and i think they're they're in lies a conversation that we have to have with with survivors is you got to stop blaming yourself mm -hmm. and you got to stop thinking that anything you could have done would have changed right. the situation or that person everybody's accountable to themselves for themselves you know what it's okay to be a victim i know people people don't like the word victim i don't find any shame or any weakness a victim to me is just someone who's had something happen to them without their permission mm -hmm. if you're mugged on a train you're a victim you know what you didn't give somebody permission to take what was yours or beat you or throw you in front of a train you're a victim if um you get hit by a car you know a hit and run you're a victim of that if someone takes advantage of you and someone um abuses you, you're a victim of that. The difference is you know how to heal from the other things. Mm -hmm. This is the one thing that people do not want to admit that they were a victim of. I say, look, I'm a victim, I'm a survivor, and now I'm a thriver. I cannot be a survivor if I haven't been a victim of something. Mm -hmm. And there is strength in being a victim because I know how not to go back now. And I know how to sidestep sidestep something that literally almost destroyed me, that literally made me want to take my life. So when we talk about these things, it's so important from our perspective to particularly hit the younger generation. Mm -hmm. Because when they're teenagers, you know, you have a son. You know, how do you tell your son how to sidestep something like this? What do you tell your son to look for? Because, you know, we... We say, well, um, you know, mothers and fathers have to talk their son, to their sons about how to treat women. You know what? Mothers of daughters, and I only have a daughter. So that's, you know, it's on me. We have to talk to our daughters about how to treat men as well. Mm -hmm. Because uh, there's nothing, there's no pride in, in what is the word, emasculating mm -hmm. a man. 
There's no pride in that. Look, I want to be a strong woman. I, I want to know that I'm capable, but I'm going to be honest with you. I want you to kill the bug. <laughs> I don't want to kill the bug. You know what? I don't want to take the garbage out. I have to do that. Or I have to now kill the bugs for myself. I have to take the garbage out. I can make it very lighthearted, but no, you know what? Yeah, I want someone that I can kind of look at and put my head on his shoulder and say, I just, I need your point of view, or I need you to tell me it's okay, or I need you to tell me that's not okay. It's not about emasculating men. It's about teaching our daughters how to respect themselves, but also how to how to communicate with with That's young what it men. Is. It's it's you communication. I just I just had this conversation with my son because he has some girls that he goes to school with, and their reactions sometimes are just so over the top. Uh, for instance, there was a there was a um, like a vote because he's in eighth grade and mm-hmm. you know the yearbook has you know most likely six to succeed yes. most sporty mm-hmm. all that stuff my son won uh most talkative i'm so proud it's been on every report card <laughs> sure from, not my son? From, from the beginning of uh time um i always said i would rather you talk than to be a dial tone and not say anything at I all agree. so i i i'm very proud of I that i love a man who can talk <laughs> so um he they were doing this vote and one of his friends found out that he didn't vote for her for most you know sporty uh he voted for somebody else Mm -hmm. and the girl's reaction was to kick him in the shins and not talk to him after that and i said that's unacceptable he goes no it's fine she was just upset i said vaughn no, no, baby. It's not okay. That is not okay. That is not a proper reaction. No. And if that ever happens to you, you have absolutely every right to say, you know what? I didn't like that. Yeah. You don't have any right to kick me just because you're mad about something. If you want to talk about it and and I can explain to you why I chose right. the other person. Yeah. But ultimately, you that's not right that you kick me. Right. And then you're going to stop talking to me? Right. But but that comes from a place of insecurity. The girl's insecure. She she and I've seen it throughout her interactions with him in in different in different you know scenarios and stuff. Right. But um, talking to him, I mean, he's very chivalrous. This boy is just he's got the true charisma. He doesn't mm-hmm. per- put it on for airs. Mm-hmm. It's just he will be so mad at me about some something sometimes, and yet he will hold the door for me. Mm-hmm. to come through right and he will be super frustrated with something that's happened between the two of us and he will come and say good night i love you right even though he's really mad and those are the things that um we need to appreciate especially about our young boys because to to emasculate them yeah. during those moments is where we get this horrible these horrible feeling boys that feel like they have to put on these airs and and they don't feel good in their skin or confident right. in their skin and they don't feel like they can come and cry. Recently he cried, he raged and he cried about something. And you know what I said? I said, I'm so proud of you. And he says, for what? I said, because you let it out. Right. There is nothing wrong with being angry and right. there's nothing wrong with crying. No. And I want, I want you to be aware that you are able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true, and and we don't we don't have those conversations with our kids. I, when I was growing up, it was you don't show those oh, types no. of you don't rage. No, you don't let anybody see that they hurt you. Mm-hmm. You you know Keep you quiet. go about your day, and if anything, you go to the opposite way and make everybody think that you're so happy. Mm-hmm. And I just feel, you know, and now in this age of political correctness, and where 
you have people almost going too far the other way where, well, if somebody's going to say something I don't like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them to the mm. point where I'm just going to belittle them and I'm going to just grind them underneath my foot and make sure they never talk again. It's no, no, this, this is not how, this is not how you can communicate with mm. one another. This is not, you have to be able to look at someone and say, I don't like this. Don't do it again without the other person going off and either crying their eyes, all right, I made you feel bad, I'm sorry, but or, or going off and now they've got a vendetta against mm -hmm. you. Or now if you're a boy, it's like, ah, you know, he's a wimp. Oh, what'd she do? She kicked you. What's the big deal? It's a big deal because if you turned it around yeah. and a boy kicked a girl for not voting for him, I guarantee you that mother would be up at school and she'd have yeah. something to say about it. So no, there's it goes definitely both ways. yeah, there's definitely a double standard with our kids uh, growing up. But one of the things I've always told the kids is they are entitled to their feelings. Yeah, they are entitled to talk about their feelings and to to say how they feel. Mm -hmm. uh, what where we have to draw the line is when we over yes when we overstep that bound. So my daughter, for instance, she'll be like, I don't, I didn't like what you just said to me. You don't make fun of me. And and then she'll just ramble on about, OK, I, I heard that I, I apologize. I didn't mm -hmm. mean to make you feel that way. That's totally on me. I'm sorry. Um, but what was all the other yeah. stuff at the end? <laughs> like, yeah. where, where did we, we were going good yeah. and then we veered off. But that's a and now I have to be your mother and tell you why you can't talk that way. Exactly. <laughs> and that's and that's where the, the, the juggling act happens with it's our hard. kids. It's hard. But if you're not having those conversations. And yeah. you're either just ignoring the fact that your child's coming back at you like that mm -hmm. or that they're having these feelings and you're not acknowledging them. That's why there's just there's a, a huge mess with our young ones. I do. And that's I do. why they're that so way. easy yeah. to manipulate when they get into these relationships early on. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. And then you've we've got the kids that grow up in an environment like this and they learn how to manipulate at an early age because yeah. they had to do that to survive the situation. So now that has become their 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 MO mm -hmm. and they use it in all their relationships. Yep. And they don't think they're doing anything wrong. It's just their survival. It's just what they know. I told, I admitted to you, growing up with my father was a pedophile. So growing up in that situation, the only way that I could survive, I learned very quickly how to manipulate him. Mm -hmm. And it was not it was not sexually. I didn't use my sexuality to then engage with him. But I knew that you know if I was. No, my dad's the best dad. Like if he could hear me saying things to my friends, if I towed that line yeah. and he asked me and I a question, even if I wanted to say, you know what, go f yourself. Like I hate you. Like because nobody knew what was going mm -hmm. on for a long time. It was no. He wanted me to call him Pop. Oh my God! Like the Brady Bunch. I said every time I called him Pop, no problem, Pop. I'll do it right now. And I jumped to it. I could manipulate it where if I knew I wanted to go out with my friends mm -hmm. and I knew something was coming up, it was kind of like saving stuff up so yeah. that by the time we got there, he was so happy with me. You know, it was like, go have a good time. Be my good girl, though. You know, be my good girl. I, I know. I know, Pop. I know. Listen, once I went out and I came back, if something was coming up for six months, he had three months of the real me. <laughs> I don't care. And I was like, when is that happening? But it was the only way I could survive because if I didn't do those things, I wouldn't be allowed to go out with my friends. I wouldn't. There were many times when he would wait till my friends actually came to the door, 
And I would be opening that door and he would look at me and he would go, did you dry the dishes? No, mom said I didn't. Yeah, tell your friends you're not going. You have to learn how to manipulate mm -hmm. situations. But I also admitted to you that when I when that was behind me and I had had some not great experiences with men within that, I was 22 years old when I conscientiously made the decision to say that person doesn't have to manipulate everyone in her life anymore. I can step into life now and just kind of hope. And life was not was not good to me. But the thing that I'm proud of is that I knew I stepped into my life being who I was. And had I had a better base, then I would have been able to sidestep some of those situations. Mm. But it is possible. You do have a choice to be the person that you're going to be. Well, I said and to narcissists you, you, you choose that. Yes. You know better, do better. Yes. It's once you know better, you need to do better. Yes. And I think we're not people, you and I are not people that live in denial. No. I, li I live in such raw truth that sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, my God, how do I get through the day with myself? <laughs> um, but, but narcissists live in denial. They believe their own lies. Mm -hmm. They have built this uh, facade and this world that is based on not reality they have their own reality mm -hmm. and therefore they're able to explain away or blame away or skirt accountability so they're never going to know better because they choose not to so they're never going to do better i used to feel sorry when john would look at me and say i don't know i don't know why i'm like this way i'm trying i try to change i try to change now if you say that to me you're not my person because you know what? You can change. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of changing in my life. Yeah. So that the damage that was done to me, I would not inflict on other people. You know what? That is the highest form of self-respect that, that I've achieved. And I've also learned not to treat people a certain way because of the way that I was treated. And like that's you said, huge. We, te we teach our children those lessons. But that's another reason why we struggle or, or, or people struggle when they've been abused in this type of situation because they cannot wrap their head around the actions of the other person. And I remember talking to my counselor about that and I said, just don't. And it was months, like two or three months. I just was vacillating on this this thought of I just don't understand mm -hmm. how they could do this. And I remember her finally saying she said, Aaron, the reason you can't wrap your head around it is because you could never be that person. You would never do those things right to a person. Yes. So you're never going to understand yep. where that behavior and those attitudes and that that treatment come from because you can't you would never be that person. You would yeah. never do those things. And when she said that, it was a light bulb moment. I was, oh, now I get it. That's why. So we got to stop saying, but why are they like that? It, it doesn't matter. Doesn't as far matter. as your, your healing process goes, let that go. It is a process and you have to go through all those emotions and eventually you will. Mm -hmm. But if, you're going to get to that point where it does not matter why they are the way they are. They are the way they are. And you have to steer clear of that because mm -hmm. you're not going to change that. That's up to them to have to change. I'm going to add something to that. I have, I know people who stay in that. Why are they like that? Why are they like that? But I don't understand. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but 
when you stay there, you stay a victim. You stay, yeah, you're stunted. You you're stay in now that. a victim forever. Mm. You're just existing in your victimhood, and you're never going to get past that. It, it's, it's Growth interesting. Growth is painful. Yeah. I mean, it, it, growth is very painful. And I think that's why a lot of people want to stay in the victim mindset, because it means a lot of hard work, mm -hmm. a lot of, of thinking and reflecting and growing and changing. And if you've been in that pattern for five, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, to change the way you've always been is really, really difficult. Yeah. So when you can say, well, but why? It, it takes the focus off of you mm -hmm. and it puts it back on the person, yeah. but it also takes your power away. It does. You're not doing anything with your life that you should be doing and you're not working through the process and you're not going to grow if you keep s focused on that, the, exactly. the other person. And that was a huge learning experience for me. I had lost so much time and energy and, and sleep and whatnot and tears. And why am I focused so much on this person that doesn't want to change when I could be focused on myself? And now I've got the energy to pour back into my children. They suffered immensely through this entire situation. Yeah. And believe me, they, they are going to have the scars of trauma themselves. But they've got a mom who's fully aware of it who's going to be their safety net no matter what. And I've told them that. I said, I know I know for a fact you guys are going to sway back and forth. You know, that is your father, and there is love there, and your relationships are different. I said, but when the, the, the safety net needs to be there, yeah. when all else fails, your mom is going to be the one standing by your side. Yep. And I, I feel confident in that. And they're going to have to make their own decisions. They're getting old enough to do, to do that. Right. So I have to allow that. I, I tell them all the time, I'm not going to be the person that stands in the way of your relationship mm -hmm. with any with anyone. But I will point out some certain things and then say, OK, I'll be here when you're right. when you're ready. Right. You make your decision. I'm always here. I'm always here. Oh, my gosh. We could go on forever and ever and ever. Um, because I just think this is such an important topic for men and women. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. And. There'll be a lot of people who start to listen to this and go, oh, my God, two more. And it's really important for me to stress to everyone, we're not clinicians. No. Nope. We hold no degrees I have no degree. in any of this. We are, we are two women who are living their lives and have had this experience. And I respect the clinical community. I have tremendous respect for them. Um, and I think it's important for people to go and to find someone that they can have these conversations with. But I also am a huge proponent of sitting down with people who've experienced what Absolutely. you experience so that you can say the things. Um, sometimes if you're in group therapy or if you're one-on-one -on -one therapy, they don't want to trigger you. And I, I have said many times to clinicians who are friends of mine, but we need to be triggered. We need to be triggered so we can really get get to exactly. that, that point where we're like, no, I need to feel this again so that I can just get it out. And I've never had a safe place to do that. If you don't sit with the feelings and you don't work, work, work through those emotions, eventually that's going to manifest itself somewhere else. It whether does. it be in, in, in your health, in your in your you know mental health, or yes. in your other relationships exactly. going forward. Being triggered, you need to understand what what is underlying. Why am I triggered? And as soon as you work through that, it's so much easier. They're not going to be able to trigger you anymore. But if They're we not. are hiding from those things mm -hmm. and we aren't working through those triggers and we aren't thinking about the emotions that are underlying, 
that there's no growth possible. Or and, we're being told we shouldn't be triggered. Right. It's that same thing of like, it's almost the same thing of like, no, put a smile on your face. Everything is fine. You have no idea what's sitting inside of me and it's going to erupt. And if, I, if I'm not allowed to let it erupt and come out in a safe environment, mm-hmm. and the safest environment for me has always been speaking with people who've been through the same thing so that when I say something, I don't feel like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Maybe they're going to judge me. No judgment. No judgment if right. I'm saying it to someone. If right. you and I are sitting here and we're talking about the same thing, going, "Oh my God, yes," which is what I want people to get from this. You have to have those connections. Podcast. That's one of the, one of the reasons I wanted to do this as well is is to uh, have people. I always I I've this is my new model. This is my new motto. Um, one of these days, all of the challenges mm-hmm. that I have been through and the growth that I've had to have is going to be someone's survival guide. Yeah. And honestly, that's become started to come to fruition. I've had people come to me and say, oh, you too? No way. And it's almost as if these narcissists um, aren't unique at all. They're all the same. They say the same things. It's the same patterns. It's the same abuse. It's the same, you know, MO, yeah. for lack of a better way of explaining it. And when you meet up with somebody who is going through that or has gone through it and you have that that common ground, you don't feel alone anymore and you can support. I've, I'm just hap- I just happen to be down further down the road in my healing process. Right. So when I see these poor young girls that that are talking to me and they're just at the beginning and they're still in the in the why did this happen to me phase, it's heartbreaking. But I also say, you know what, honey, I'm here. I- I'm going to talk you through it. I'm going to be here for you. And you're not alone. It, it becomes your purpose. Mm-hmm. You understand. Oh, OK. This happened to me. There was a purpose to this happening to me because I tell people my mess is my message. So let's just sit down, <laughs> listen to my message, That's listen cute. to what I have to say. It, it grabs people. It's like, what do you mean you message your message? Well, guess what? What you just told me, I've been through that. Let's talk about it. And there's just such um, a sense of freedom mm-hmm. once you start saying it and you can say it without being ashamed. You can say it. That's why. Unsilenced, unashamed, unstoppable. Because yep. when you are unsilenced and you stop being ashamed, you become unstoppable. That's exactly right. And you right. can exist. You can create the life that you love and that you've always wanted to live. You will surround yourself with the best people and you'll be there to help people get through their through their life. Yep. So thank you. 